Welcome to Cue the Dagger, brought to you in partnership with Inside the Rink. Inside the Rink is your one-stop shop for all NHL news, insight, and analysis. You can follow them on Twitter at Inside underscore the underscore rink. I'll be your host, Clifton Ramey, and I'll have a special guest on today, Connor Green. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing pretty good, Clifton. Glad to be here. First time on the show. You guys have some great content going on and glad to finally be a part of it. Well, it's an honor to get you on here and talk some hockey. I'm excited to do that. Um, But before that, we'll go ahead and have a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has all your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry. Bet US. You bet, you win. You get paid. BetUS.com. All right, so we'll go ahead and jump into this. Um, We were just having some friendly uh, talk off air here about Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks rebuild, and um, I'll kind of just let you jump in and say your piece, and then I'll kind of just word off of what you're saying there, Connor. Yeah, so uh, I think where this where this all started is I really feel like the Chicago Blackhawks have to make a move on Patrick Kane and not let him be a Blackhawk for his entire career in order for this rebuild to be a success and or to be completed in that three to five year time frame. And then that's kind of where it all got off the rails. Um, yeah. Um, I can kind of see like where your thought process is. Um, and I'll, I'm not going to jump into too much detail off the bat. I'll kind of let you feed into it a little more before I show my cards here. Um, but my only kind of quick note is you kind of look at a team like the Los Angeles Kings per se, and, I mean, they still have a guy like Anze Kopitar or Drew Doughty. Um, you could look at a team like the Anaheim Ducks who didn't get rid of Orion Getzloff through their rebuild, and both of those organizations seem to be on the upswing. Um, I know Anaheim's been a little bit down as of late, but, I mean, the Kings look great. Um, and those are just two blueprints that I'm more looking at from my point of view. Um, mm-hmm. But, obviously, you had some good points that you made. So I'll just go ahead and let you dive into your points here. Yeah. So for me, I, I hear your, your arguments about, you know, the ducks and the Kings, et cetera, but those teams had other players that they could move on from in deals and recoup significant assets for outside of their, you know, two to three, like major cornerstone pieces of a franchise. For me, when I'm looking at the Blackhawks roster, you know, what they have and what they could give up to bring in a major haul to help, you know, be the foundational pieces of a future rebuild here. There's really nobody that jumps off of the screen at you and says, okay, I'm going to get a first round pick plus plus for this player. Out, out. Yeah. So caveat, caveat that the Blackhawks are, willing to move yeah. on from yeah I don't, so I don't see him moving. there's a lot of talk about brandon hagel and that's primarily coming from the buyer's market the seller's market within the blackhawks organization from some people that i've spoke with 
have led me to believe that there actually is some significant interest in the organization to move on from Kane. They understand that Kane has value. He's been, you know, one of the major pieces, if not the biggest piece of their franchise, you know, for the last decade. But at the same token, that is the piece on this roster that could get you a first round pick and maybe probably two to three other prospects, if not young roster players, which is what I think you would have to move on from. I, I don't foresee the Blackhawks moving a Debrinket or a Seth Jones, who would be the other comparables there in that category right now that would bring you back a King's ransom that mixed with the organization, not being against moving on from him outside of what Kane has said. And he's, you know, done the good soldier thing and done the lip service of, you know, I'm a black Hawk really love Chicago would love to, you know, end my career here, etc. Everybody says that, you know, look at the Bruins, for example, they had Zdeno Chara who said all these same things. He moved on from the organization. Sometimes it just happens and you have to let these things happen and not let fans and their fandom get in the way of an organization making a move to help the organization for the future. And I think this is where we start to disagree a little bit here. So few things and i mean obviously i'm not like inside the blackhawks organization or anything i'm going off what i'm reading ben pope probably Meliotis, all that kind of stuff and it seems that patrick kane who it, it's rumored has the ultimate say here kind of like if he wants to stay he's gonna stay and if he doesn't want to stay he's not gonna stay i mean he does have all the cards with the no move clause so as far as it does go it kind of holds it um is that he really does care about his legacy and that he's a big legacy guy and that he wants to finish atop of the boards for an original six team. He wants to be a player that plays for that team for his whole career. He's just kind of that old school kind of mentality where he wants the legacy. He cares what his legacy is, but in, in off of that, just as far as the rebuild goes, if you trade Patrick Kane now, I think you hurt development of, uh, Alex to bring it a Kirby doc. Um, Cause if you really look at a Blackhawks team, there's not a single player on this team that can drive offense and create Alex to bring a goal scorer. Yeah. But if you take a goal scorer and you don't give him a guy that can make plays to him, what's a goal scorer? He can create a little bit, but I mean, he's not out here creating for himself all the time. I mean, take Patrick Kane away and he might be a 30 goal scorer versus a 40 goal scorer. And you look at a guy like Kirby Doc, who's just kind of learning and developing his offensive game, which is where he's struggling. Defensively, he's been good. Um, offensively, he needs the confidence. He needs to find that patience. He's got soft hands. He's shown them. He's shown that he can play with a swagger. And if there's any guy in the planet that can help a player develop those style things, it's a Patrick Kane, in my opinion. On top of that, you talk about the PR and the PR wants to move on. And I, you're going to tell me that they don't care about the fans of the Blackhawks. But ultimately, what is PR? In my opinion, PR is about selling seats and selling tickets. That's what they care about. They don't necessarily care about what people think of them or anything like that. They just want butts and seats and money in their pocket. I mean, it's a business uh -huh. when it comes to it. And Patrick Kane sells those tickets. Patrick Kane's top 10 in jersey sales every year. So you look from a business standpoint. 
you might go ahead and move on from a Jonathan Taze and you might go ahead and tear this thing down and shoot, you might even see a crazy move of an Alex to bring it go and literally tear this thing to the bottom. And how do you keep seats in the building? Well, you keep Patrick Kane on the ice. I mean, I'm going to buy a ticket to go watch him play. I mean, it could just be a business move to keep him around. It's to me, I just, unless like you said, you do get that ransom of like a uh, really like, because if you're going to first from him, in my opinion, it's going to be a team that's making the playoffs and it's going to be a team really going for a run. So it's going to be late round this year's draft kind of week next year's draft. Okay. I'll be a little more enticed by that first round pick, but then it's the prospects that you would get. If we're not getting like um, what's the Russian guy in New York, Kratzoff. How do you say his name? Like, Kratzoff. like yeah, a guy like that, like a high end prospect. There's something that like, is a real game changer. A draft pick to me, it's a lottery ticket. It's a scratch off. You're hoping to hit and Patrick Kane's kind of a lock. Um, Ben Pope, I believe it was Ben Pope. Yeah. Ben Pope just did an article and he kind of did some analysis and it was, will Patrick Kane be good when the rebuild's complete? And based off players that he was able to compare to like Ron Francis and stuff like that, Patrick Kane will still be a viable option producing around 70 points. And if he follows in guys that, his career has been similar to, again, that's just an article by Ben Pope to shout him out. So you can see where Patrick Kane could also still be a factor of the future as far as when this team's good again. Am I saying that's a lock? No. Could he get injured? Yeah. But you just, I think the value for this franchise is more than just getting some draft picks and prospects. It's putting seats in there. It's PR. It's everything. I just think Patrick Kane staying in Chicago is fine. If you really want to go recoup some big picks and tear this thing down, then I say you tear down Alex to bring it really. I mean, if you want to, okay. reach, but I, I just don't see why this year, the first to me is just, it's not that great of a draft in my opinion. Like well, next year is a little different. I'm not even saying it's a first in this year's draft. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, rumor going on right now in the industry that, some of these teams that have players they're willing to sell on, they don't want this year's first round. They want your first round pick next year instead, yeah. which definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, outside of maybe the top three to five players this year, it kind of turns into a crapshoot. But to kind of go back on a couple of the points you made, yes, PR is all about interaction with fans, how your fans feel about the team, et cetera. The organization understands and knows that before, you know, I'll just say around 2010-ish, prior to that, it was a really, really rough time in Chicago where they struggled to sell tickets. They were bad or mediocre. And that is, ex- that is exactly what they see happening again if they can't stay competitive. Now, the second side of that, which is making things kind of squirrely in their organization, is all of these, you know, issues and allegations that have been coming out of the Blackhawks organization for the past two years. Not just the Kyle Beach um, scandal incident, whatever you'd like to call it, Um, it was more than just that there's pieces that have been coming out of this Blackhawks organizations that have just been wrapped up in it and the Blackhawks, they could keep Kane and they could say, all right, well, we're going to sell some tickets next year 
and maybe he resigns for another two to three years and we're going to be really mediocre and we'll get a couple thousand fans who come out and continually buy tickets just to see Patrick Kane try and, you know, score some records. Or they could sell off Patrick Kane and if they're willing to retain salary, which in my opinion, they'd be stupid not to keep 50% and drive their price up. You could get probably three to four first round pick equivalents. And I'm not saying that they're going to be actual picks themselves. Yeah, I get you. But first round talent. Yeah, just and if, just if you could add three prospects that have significant value and who are going to be, you know, what type top of six or middle value six are you players? talking here though? Because to me, there's a lot of different like so you got like your top 14 first round value, and then you have your back half first round value. Like, yeah, your top 14, those guys probably will make an NHL roster at some point. But like you look at the back half of the draft and it's 50-50. Again, I, if, if it's late first round value, I I think I'd rather Patrick Kane. I think the value is more on the ice for like helping. It's not I, – I don't know if I'm just wording it incorrectly and I'm making it sound like, oh, I want Patrick Kane on the ice for like his – legacy or whatever but really it's just more development of like a lucas reichel when lucas reichel comes up or like uh alex to bring it current day or mm-hmm. i'm gonna use dylan strome right now look at what dylan strome has been doing since playing with patrick kane's brand new player like he's got so much confidence that when patrick kane's not on the ice with him he's playing with that confidence as if patrick kane is on the ice and dylan strome's at a point per game pretty much for the last 25 games like if patrick kane is able to help Guys like Dylan Strome and Alex Jabrinkit develop, like, to me, I think he has. I think that that value is more than the lottery ticket, where I would rather try to get a lottery ticket from anybody else. Like, I just think if you're going to trade Patrick Kane, you might as well just literally tear it all down and just trade Alex Jabrinkit. Like, if you're going to do that, you might as well, like, rebuild, rebuild. Like, just blow this thing up. Obviously, you can't move Seth Jones. That thing's impossible to move. But, like, you might as well just blow it all up, in my opinion, if you're going that route. Don't, don't even keep Alex to bring it. I mean, as far as keeping around to help develop, I don't think he needs to be there anymore to help to bring it grow. The bring it's grown, and he's Michael. kind of, you know, on his own now. And he's yeah. going to be the Kane heir so, like, parent. I'll give you my perfect example. The main reason why I don't want Kane to leave this season is we're going to have Lucas Reichel up. And Lucas Reichel is that, like, dominating AHL center that the Hawks have been looking for. Um, He plays with a lot of speed. He sees the ice while he plays, like, a Patrick Kane kind of style. And, like, if you take Patrick Kane out of this lineup and you bring Lucas Reichel up and he has just Alex to break it, and, yeah, Alex to break it's great, but – Let's say he doesn't click with Alex to break it. Then who are you playing Lucas Reichel with at the age of 20? And he comes up, he loses all his confidence. And now you just lost that prospect. It's, uh, it's just, there's not much offense on this team. <clears throat> Sorry. There's not much offense on this team. And I just think that it's important to keep a guy around that is offensive. Cause that's the thing that this team's really missing defensively. They have breakdowns and they're ugly breakdowns. And I just think that's maybe coaching a little bit and obviously some depth forward issues. But Mm -hmm. as far as like your players that you're looking at, like Kirby Doc and those guys, like Kirby Doc's great defensively, but just has no offense. 
So you need, in my opinion, you need somebody that's going to help bring offense out of guys that have kind of that on tap potential, like coming on this, bring them up again, Kirby Doc or Lucas Reichel or Dylan Strome. I mean, Kubelik hasn't played with Kane this year, but I hope Kubelik's gone anyway, in my opinion. But I just, yeah. It, I mean, it depends uh, on the, like, if we get a bow and Byram or something like that, then yeah. Like, does it make sense? And I like think that's you, a reality. Yeah. If I, if we're getting a bona fide prospect with some like late first round value, then you can start to like, I'll be okay with it. And I'm not going to go grab a pitchfork and ride in the streets or anything. But if it's like, three late round value first round pick value kind of things where it's more of like a lottery ticket i just think the value is more to like a lucas reichel next year and then just if you want patrick kane's not willing to resign then you deal him at the deadline for less value yeah at least like a guy like lucas reichel got the opportunity to play next to him i'm more yeah i mean more or less just want lucas reichel to pan out i guess (laughs) but why do you want a right winger to be shepherding your future center into the organization. That's what Jonathan Taves should be doing. Or somebody like a Tyler Johnson. Is he, is he, is he the I, best player on your team? No. Uh, I but Johnson that, has a lot of experience that will be a significant thing for a lot of these younger players coming up. Uh, yeah. And, and again, it goes it goes back to more of like the, the offensive aspect of the game. Like Chicago does have a lot of guys that can help Lucas Reichel down the center. I mean, even look at like a guy like Curry Doc, who's been under a Jonathan Taze for the last three years. He could help Lucas Reichel come up and teach him the things that Jonathan Taze has been teaching him. Jonathan Taze clearly isn't going anywhere because no one's taking ten and a half million dollars for him. And I don't know who would take five and a half million dollars next year if they can retain, to be completely honest. It'll be tough on that one to even move him next year and get any value out of Taze. So you still have a Taze like that to teach him the role of center, but you have Patrick Kane to teach him how to run an offense and like drive the play and be the quarterback of the Chicago Blackhawks power play of the future. And you essentially need somebody to take over Patrick Kane's role. Patrick Kane has been the driving force of the Blackhawks offense for 13 years. Like Alex Debrinkit. I don't, I see. I Alex Debrinkit is a goal scorer though. Like it's, they're two totally different players in my opinion. Alex Debrinkit needs like, and it doesn't need to be Patrick Kane. It could be a Dylan Strome that's just good enough to make the plays to him, but he needs that guy to make the plays where Patrick Kane is the guy making the plays. And I think we need somebody that's going to be able to drive the play. Alex Debrinkit could do it because he's shown that he has the hands and he has the vision, but his passing is just not as up to par. Mm-hmm. He, he so, has some ducks going around the ring sometimes. One of the other th- things that you've also got to keep in mind is if you're deleting a Patrick Kane from your lineup, you're now giving somebody else in your lineup who is a top line talent, the ability to play with other top line talent and get those minutes. So their production have enough talent to worry about that yet is going to go up. I don't think we have the talent. Like I think when you're looking at the future of the Blackhawks and I'm going to name some names that some people are going to disagree with me on. It's Alex to right? It's Seth Jones. Cause that's not going anywhere. In my opinion, it's Kirby doc. And in my opinion, it's Lucas Reichel. I like Kirby Doc a lot. Now, do I think he's going to be a first-line center? Probably not. 
Can he be that really good defensive style, 50 to 60 point second line center that kills penalties? I do believe so. Um, but I just don't think there's even enough talent to be like, let me get this guy a look on the first line. It would only be Lucas Reichel. And you don't want to bring up Lucas Reichel this year anymore because you kind of don't want to waste that year. I don't think it's yeah. worth wasting a year. And you know? yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that this, pl- this plays out. Also, in the offseason, you know that you're going to sign free agents. It is totally likely that they will bring in some, you know, veteran free agents on one to two year deals as needed to come in and mentor younger players as they're selling off the the old guard, if you will. And with a Patrick Kane deal to kind of get into more specifics of to what, you know, could actually pan out in a package like this. If the Blackhawks are willing to eat half the salary, which I think they should do to maximize their return, and they're willing to bring a little something back in a trade to really make Patrick Kane the, you know, the smallest cap hit on the acquiring team as possible, that cap hit coming back is probably going to be a veteran player. And you're probably going to get a first round talent that's, you know, within the first 10 picks or so, a first round pick. And then I could see one to two mid to late round uh, talents coming with. So, like, for example, you look at the New York Rangers, for example, they've got players like Capo uh, Caco, who's, I don't want you know, He's been rumored that they could potentially move on from him just because of the plethora of depth so that they have. Quick, quick question for you. What do you think his value is? To me, his value is relatively less than Kirby Doc, and I don't think Kirby Doc's even valued at a first-round pick anymore. I would take Capo over Doc. Oh, I would have to disagree. Because Doc has had the ability to play higher in the lineup than Kako has. He's a second overall pick with a top-six talent who hasn't been able to play top six minutes. He's been playing on a third line. I will always give players the benefit of the doubt because you can't, you can't take a Ferrari and tell it to, you know, go buzz down these muddy trails like a four by four would. You just Kirby can't. Doc seems to slide in and play just fine defensively. He's been in the bottom six for the majority of this season. I'm not saying defensively at all. I'm talking about statistic production. He's had more. So this year, right? Kirby Doc has mm-hmm. relatively been relegated down the lineup, except when Jonathan Tace has been hurt, which there was that little gap. I'll give you that. But if you really, um, you want to pull up Capo stats real quick, I'll get Doc's up. I'm 100% sure that yeah. Doc's stats are better. My buddy's a big Rangers fan, and we go over this all the time. Kirby Doc on this year has 57 games played, eight goals. 15 assists, 27 or 23 points, and a negative seven on a brutal Blackhawks team. He's only a negative seven. And this is not playing with Patrick Kane, the 23 points, which I mean, it's not great. Let's see. So Capo has played 20 less games because of injury. Yeah. Yes. Um, He's only played 37 games. He's got five goals, nine assists, and 14 points, and he's a plus seven. 
So they're pacing relatively close with points. Mm-hmm. And then plus minus kind of goes out the window when you have one of the worst teams in the league and one of the best teams in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, Igor Shosturkin definitely is uh, eating can we, can up a lot of on the Rangers? Yeah, I'm sure. A, I've wanted to just kind of ask this. Are they overrated? I feel like Shosturkin kind of makes them. I, to be honest with you, on my podcast earlier this year, I picked them to be my Stanley Cup, you know, favorite dark horse contender, if you will. But you just don't get nervous that, like, he's kind of carrying? Like, I mean, they're only 37, 17, and 5 with, what, 9, 4, 1 or whatever he's at? Yeah, I mean, he definitely is standing on his head a lot. Is there a lot of defensive mistakes that the Rangers make? Not really a ton, but they've got some holes in their lineup and they've had just injury issues. I mean, Sammy Blay, who they acquired in the Buchnevich deal, who they were expecting to be, you know, a predominant bottom six player, played, I think, like three to five games and then out with injury for the entire rest of the year. Done. Kako has been an injury problem, kind of in and out. Um, let me see here. I want to look at one thing real quick with Kako. So who's the line mates for Kirby Doc? Um, this year, he kind of been tossed uh, in the second and third line roles. So Kubelik, Taze, um, kind of like that bunch. Not Patrick Kane, not Alex Zabrinkin for the most part. Okay. Um, but because... it, I think the problem with Kirby Doc, if uh, while you're looking up your stat, I'm just going to go on a quick little tangent, um, is that he gets thrust in so much of a defensive role that he's just so focused defensively. He just has no opportunity to do anything offensively. And I don't know if I like – at first I was all about it. I was like, cool, teach the young kid how to play defense. But now it's like I'm almost starting to worry that like you're going to restrict his – potential growth offensively if you don't start giving him better offensive opportunities and if you don't take a little bit of the defensive responsibility away from him. Yeah. um, That kind of plays into what I was trying to tell you about role on a team. As you start trading away, you know, your predominant players, he'll probably slide out of being given some defensive matchups and being, you know, on a shutdown line and be slotted more into an offensive role. And I think that'll naturally happen anyway, as Taves continues to decline, Taves will be slotted down and he'll probably turn into, you know, a defensive line. I think ultimately Kirby doc lands up on the wing. I don't think he lands up in center. I think you don't don't think he could be your first or second line center on this. I think he's too bad in the dot. It's only like thirty hmm. percent in the faceoff dot, dude. I mean, he could be like a guy like where he takes like the main defensive type role from the wing, almost like a Marion Hosa type. But unless unless he pulls a Dylan Strom and like his faceoffs take this night and day switch like Strom did this season, is can't you can't have a center winning thirty percent of your draws. Yeah, that's true. I did I didn't have his you know faceoff stuff yeah, in front of me, but it's bad that's the only nice thing to say is it's bad yeah i mean then that's gonna leave you with a another entire issue there you go here's his his career face-off percentage i'll go right down the three years 33.78 40.31 and this year 33.14 brutal 
And how many face-offs is he actually taking? Is he taking the lion's share of face-offs? Uh, I don't have that actual number in front of me, but for the beginning of the year, yeah, he was taking a good chunk of them, probably the second most on the team. Okay. Because, I mean, if if you think that he can't be a natural center on your team, um, now I think you've got way more problems than even I expected. It's tough a little bit. Um because you saw what Dylan Strom did with his face-offs, right? I guess he took up juggling in the offseason, and he went from, like, 40, 42, and then he was at, like, 47, and then this year he jumped all the way up to 52. So, like, Dylan Strom started really bad, too, and he got up there. Um, I don't know. It just really depends on if he can start winning the draws or not. So, Ryan Carpenter, do you believe in his offensive ability? Nothing. Okay. So to me, then you have Dylan Strom as your center depth for the next three to four years. Yeah. At this moment, as far as a lockdown center, yeah, that's, that's where I would put it. Cause I would, I would personally, I'm going to, I'm just going to play it by what Kirby Doc does and say he doesn't fix his face off. So I wouldn't mind seeing him move to the wing. They actually just played him on the wing recently with Hagel and Taves, right? Yes. I did see that. Um, I mean, that kind of – that's – But here's my question. If Dylan Strom turns into this point-per-game player that he is and he's only 25, you have a young center. So now you're just looking for a second-line center. So now it's this, – this is where the Hawks are at, and this is where Dylan Strom kind of shafted them a little bit, is Dylan Strom's young enough that he can be part of the rebuild. He's skilled enough that he could be a key piece. He's playing at the current moment like he is a key piece, but he's done this throughout his whole career up and down, having super hot spots. Now the Hawks don't have any idea what he is. And do they trade him? Do they not trade him? Do they have a piece of the future there? Do they not have a piece of the future there? They could qualify him for, I think it's $3.6 million next year. Do they just qualify him? Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Strom, for me, I always I always try to look at center's stats before anything else. Their goals, their assists, and their points. And for Strom, he's one of those ones that you scratch your head at. Because right now, for example, he's got 16 goals and 16 assists for 32 points. And he does play with Kane and Debrinkit most nights, correct? Can we talk? Yeah. Can we talk about how Carlton had this guy as a healthy scratch? What a bum. So now listen to this. You have Patrick Kane, who's got 19 goals and 49 assists. And then you've got Debrinkit, who's got 34 goals and 21 assists. Do you know what that tells me? Dylan Strom's the benefactor. Dylan Strom's not factoring at all in most of these goals. Um, the only thing that's tough to look at his stats like that is Dylan Strom didn't really get put up with Patrick Kane and then to bring it to like the last 20 games. And that's where Dylan Strom has like that point per game production where they're all relatively Patrick Kane's like second in the league in points right now. For instance, January, since his lines got put together, um, 
they're all over it. Since January 2nd, Kane has 43 points in 29 games. Doc's at like a point per game in that span. Uh, and Alex Brinkett, I believe, is also pretty close to a point per game. Um, but it's, it's tough to look at Dylan Strom's stats like that because up until that like 20 games, he was on the bottom six and in and out of the lineup, not getting a lot of ice time. So he's like played two totally different seasons in one season, if that makes sense. Yeah, but those are the two those are the two things that jump off, you know, the stat sheet at you because you're looking at about 55-ish goals, you know, just rounding between Kane and Debrinkit. And he's got 16 assists on the season. So even even in this short span, right? Okay, okay, hold on. To to counter argument that in 22 games, he has like 16 assists. So that's so kinda, he's with, so he's with Patrick Kane. No, with Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinkit, he's at a point per game when he's been with them. Okay. That makes sense. So when he's not with them, he doesn't do anything. That's that that's that's helping it. that's helping me with what I'm trying to get to here. Um, with without see, these I don't players, know it does, though, because in my he's opinion, nothing. Dylan Jones the type of player. He's the opposite of an Alex Debrinkit for me. Like that's why. Like remember how early I was like Alex Debrinkit needs a guy to get him the puck to score. Mm-hmm. Dylan Strom needs a guy to give the puck to to score. Like Dylan Strom's sixteen goals are just because he's in front of the net on the power play. But his assist is because he's making nice passes to Alex Debrinkit and stuff like that. That's more or less where his points are going to come. I don't know if you can trust his 16 goals this year. Like he's had two hat tricks, but if he keeps that in front of the net presence, I mean, he's tipping pucks like he's Joe Pavelski this year. Um, So maybe that's something he added to his game. But I think he's, again, a type of player where I think you – and it's funny that they play together in juniors. Like you kind of have the perfect pairing in those two with Debrinket and Strom because they kind of like match. It's like a mm-hmm. perfect puzzle piece. Like Alex Debrinket needs a passer, and Dylan Strom needs somebody that can play the game the way he sees it, which is slower, methodical, throwing sauce around the ice. Well, yeah. Earlier this season, I mean, the trade rumors were there. Fans were ready to get rid of Strom. I was all ready for it. And I still think in my heart of hearts that he is not the answer at center for Chicago. And he is getting that dead cat bounce of playing with two phenomenal players. What do you think we could get for him? For Dylan Strom? Yeah, that's my question here. Because if you can qualify for 3.6 next year and find out what you have and then trade him again next year, if I'm not getting a second round pick, but then again, if you give up a point per guy player and they only get a second and then he stays at a point per game, that looks like a bad trade in the future. So I just, I don't know where the value would be where I would be happy trading Dylan Strome versus qualifying and seeing what he is, I guess. It's, it's going to be a gamble both ways, right? So if you're the, the Blackhawks, you saw that he had a pretty, below par beginning to the season and then you moved him up and he's producing and he's playing well with your top players and you get lulled into uh oh okay well well this guy can play and then you sign him to a longer term contract maybe it's got a little more money what have you as soon as these players like a patrick kane start to move away from the blackhawks whether it's trade retirement whatever 
his production's definitely going to dip again. The Blackhawks have proved that them to themselves. So for me, I truly think you could get a second rounder and a prospect for somebody like Dylan Strom from a team who is not as old as the Blackhawks, but still being ready to compete. And they have, you know, the stud horses around him to make it work. Like, for example, maybe this is going to be somewhat of a, uh, a homer take for me, but Dylan Strom playing on a team like the Bruins, you know, I could see you getting a second round pick and a prospect from the Bruins because they know that Strom will play on their second line between Taylor Hall and David Posternock. You'd be great on that one. And it would be, be like, it would be not much of a risk or a bet for the Bruins because they have those pieces there. To be completely now, honest. The Bruins, if they could pull that off, that would be the perfect line for Dylan Strome because it's two speedy guys that can both shoot the puck, both play make, and both play his style of game. That would be on real line for Dylan Strome. Yeah, and I mean, it would continue to see him have success, and in that scenario, the Blackhawks would be like, oh my God, we lost this trade. Yeah. But at the same time, you are going to quote-unquote lose trades when you rebuild. Because you are getting rid of assets that have age or term or just a lot of money to start getting draft picks and get your next core all in that same, you know, age group, if you will. So you're going to have to take some on the chin here and there. Be like, well, I really wish I would have gotten a first round pick for Dylan Strom, but second round pick and a prospect will do. Yeah. All right. Um, as we go ahead and wind in here, I do just want to. I'm going to throw some quick fire questions here at you, real quick, while I have you. I just want to see kind of where you're gauging some value at and um, where you ultimately think some players are going to land up. Sound cool with you, dude? Yeah, sure. Let's get it. All right. Well, so let's go ahead. We'll start this. Ultimately, what do you believe happens with Patrick Kane this season? This season, I think he ends the year in Chicago. All right. And we'll move on from that. Dominic Kubalik. Kubalik, I think he gets moved by the deadline purely because of his cap hit not being awful for the type of production that a team could get. And since we both agree he's going to move, what is your pick? Uh, Probably a second or a third round pick. It really depends if... I think probably a third. I think a second's a little much for him right now. Well, it depends if they're willing to retain any kind of salary. You know, if there's a team out there who wants him, who doesn't have the cap space and they retain some, I think you could yeah. work your way into a second. I think a team like either the Rangers or someone like that could be looking for a Dominic Kubelik potentially, maybe like a Carolina or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan Strom. Dylan Strom, for his value that he would bring to another team, I've got to think that he gets traded. It's I'm not I literally have torn on this one. I want him traded and I don't want him traded all at the same time. I, As a Blackhawks so fan, I completely understand not yeah, wanting to he, trade him. He just toys with it. He did the same thing last year, though. He got hot and we're like, oh my god, we have our center in Dylan Strome. We won the small trade, yada yada yada, and then pfft, right down. <laughs> yep. Yeah, That's how it happens. It's a roller coaster of emotions with Dylan Strome. It is. 
Um, what about Calvin DeHaan? I think he's for sure moved. Yeah, I think you can kiss him goodbye. Um, you're probably not getting anything but a late round pick there. I mean, he's got a pretty substantial cap hit for what he actually brings to a team. So I don't see anything, you know, more than a fourth or a fifth. Yeah, I was hoping for a fourth. That's kind of what I'm eyeing. Um, and it's funny, again, like a team like the Rangers, in my opinion. I think I think the Rangers, if you kind of look at their capper in like a scenario where they might hit a cap, uh, a cap wall here in the next year or two, and I think this is probably, in my opinion, their best year to kind of go for it at the deadline. Um, but that, Yeah, I mean, the Rangers are in on some uh, some big fish right now. I, I think if you look at their books, it makes sense because they're going to be if a capo pans out and a Lafreniere pans out, they're going to be in cap hell with that Truba deal and Fox's Fox, deal and Sisterian. Yeah. And Strom, like they're, they got contracts to deal with over there. Yep. Um, they're going to have cap problems like all the good teams do. Yeah. Um, what about a Brandon Hagel? Brandon Hagel. This is the hardest one for me. The market for buyers really, really want a player like Brandon Hagel. But if you're the Blackhawks with how young he is, the team control that you have and the cap hit that he brings, you have to keep him unless you're getting a significant return. Person to prospect, I would say, yeah. Yeah. At minimum, that starts at a first. It's it's tough. I don't know. That's another one where I'm a little torn, but I think I would I and I think hey, don't come at me, Blackhawks Nation. I love Brandon Hagel. I'm not saying trade Brandon Hagel. Do not come at me. Okay. Do not be in my mentions yelling at me about me wanting to trade Hagel. It's not what I want to do. Okay. Value is value. And then we'll end it on the funnest one. Mark Andre Fleury. What does the flower ultimately want? I think that he is going to end up a Toronto Maple Leaf, I'm contrary contrary to what you're hearing on the market right now. That you know, Flurry doesn't want to go to A, B, and C. I think he just wants to be courted. To be honest with you, he got left high and dry by Vegas, and they gave him away for nothing. And he didn't really want to leave Vegas. I think he wants a team to go out and show them that hey, like. We want you, we need you, and we're going to give you the best chance to win another Stanley Cup. And I do think that those are all possible if he were to be a Toronto Maple Leaf with the team that they have in front of him. He, he can steal you games, and he has got a ton of playoff experience for a team like the Maple Leafs who've got basically everything but a goaltender or the Edmonton Oilers. This is the guy that you want and you are doing everything you can to talk to him and his agent and get this done. Yeah. I think Toronto easily would give uh, the Hawks the most value. You got guys like Robertson's brother over there who you could bring back in a potential trade. Obviously the Hawks would retain all half the salary, which means they would get a first probably along with it. Toronto fans would get to watch a good goaltender for the first time in well, my lifetime. I think that could be a win-win both ways. I think that would be the ultimate move for the Hawks. Um, if Edmonton, maybe if you could talk further into that, that would be a good move. But I just don't think Edmonton is good enough for Flurry to go there and leave his family. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I know we're heavy on time, so I'm not going to make this too long, but Chicago needs Flurry to want to be traded. Yes. Because I mean, keeping him and not getting an asset for him is going to be an utter failure for the Blackhawks. To, to circle back to you, I think if you can convince Flurry to trade, it makes up for the opportunity to keep Patrick Kane and allow him to stay. It gives you that first that you want, and it opens the door to maybe start filling your prospect pool up, and then you kind of adjust next year with who you're going to move then. Um, but obviously, I think you kind of do need to start getting assets for this rebuild, and if Flurry doesn't want to do that, then you do got to look at guys who are on this roster because at some point you do have to get some value. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So, um, personally, I want Patrick Kane to be a Blackhawk for life. He's my favorite player of all time. I have majillion Patrick Kane jerseys. Um, but, yeah, I hope that they can figure out some way to get this rebuild going and keep Patrick Kane because it's just not a thing anymore that players play for one team for their whole organization. Um, so I think Wayne Gretzky was traded and he didn't play for one team his whole life. So I, I want Patrick Kane to mean more to the Blackhawks than what Wayne Gretzky does to the Edmonton Oilers. So, I mean, then you look back on it, Wayne Gretzky's legacy in Edmonton's probably not as strong as what Patrick Kane's would be if, let's say, he retired today in Chicago because you have all those years of Gretzky playing in LA and New York. The only thing that I think will ruin this for Kane is all of these scandals that have been happening because that's in between his successes and now I would and think too. everybody remembers, you know, the, the, what have you done for me lately? So now whenever you think of Patrick Kane from, for most people in the league, not necessarily Blackhawks fans, yeah, you think of, gonna get at. you know, you think of, Oh, well, you know, he was on the team. He never said anything. He never did this. He never did that. Yeah, but see, you, you think like that, and I know like these are a lot of touchy subjects, and I'm not trying to play them off or anything, but I'm just going to use previous sports examples here. Um, Kobe Bryant, no one yep. brings up his past. Ben Rothensberger seemed to escape his. Um, those are just two previous big name sports athletes that have gone through similar stuff. Um and have found a way to not I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful or anything but like not move on from it but you know what i mean i don't i don't know if there's really an appropriate word for that but they yeah. put it in behind them i guess would be the only way that i could say that and as far as patrick kane goes i think the city of chicago and the fans of the blackhawks have kind of done the same thing for him and his legacy in chicago is really the only thing that would matter when it comes to that obviously because he could care less if he's doing it for his legacy in the city of Chicago he could care less what the people outside of that city think because it's about his legacy there does that make mm-hmm. sense so, yeah and I mean his personal stuff you know in the legal issues that he had had you know I think fans were very easy to just let that go you know kind of similar well, to I these think- other people you mentioned but for me and it's not going to be directly at Patrick Kane. It's just going to be everybody looks at the Blackhawks for this decade where they were really good. And they say, wow, the Blackhawks were really good and they won a couple Stanley Cups. 
but A, B, and C. And then you start lining up all of these scandals and then, you know, talking about what's happening. I mean, it's already happening. People are already starting to do this and say this. I just hope that it doesn't get to a point where, you know, he gets into the Hall of Fame, which he most likely will. Oh, he will. And yeah, this is going to be one of the conversations. I'd as be far as like anything or his legacy on. goes like that, clearly it's not going to affect him at all because the NHL put him on their top 100 list after everything. So like he's clearly it's not going to affect him as far as like getting into the Hall of Fame or anything like that. I would say that the NHL's kind of already played their hand on that by putting him on that list after yeah. I mean it's happened. it's kind of like a uh a guilt by association right like yeah, he's gonna it, get lumped in with it because the Blackhawks and whatever staff etc were involved yeah you know with, I think it sucks dude I, yeah. I, I I don't know who knew like, like you see and players have came out half of them say the whole team knew half of them say no we didn't know he was a black ace you have no idea there's only people that know with the people inside that organization the people who truly needed to go are gone. They don't ever deserve a job in the NHL again. Stan Bowman should never have a job in the NHL again. That whole every leadership person in that team doesn't deserve a job anymore. Um, I love Joel Quinville. Um, it's questionable whether or not he should have a job or not. If it's true that he said what it is and he knew about it, then he shouldn't have a job. Um, it's tough though, but when you look at the players on that team, I just don't know if it's fair to judge the players because the players aren't in a leadership role. Like they're not the ones that handle that on a given day anyway. They're not the ones entrusted in that role. And it's just tough to blame players, I think. Like if you want to go out the leadership and the people who like are the grown adults teaching and running these organizations at that time, then yeah. But for like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays who are young and if they did know, you would have hoped that they would have done the right thing, obviously. And it's disappointing that they didn't do the right thing if they knew. But I don't know if they knew. You don't know if they knew. Only they know that. And I'm not going to kind of put that on them. I don't think it's fair. I think that that cup is tarnished as it is a little bit for anybody who's not a Blackhawks fan. Obviously, people are going to view the 2010 cup differently. And I think that's kind of enough damage for me to those players i mean that was their first cup that was a huge cup for them it was life-changing and it has a tarnish on it and they're gonna feel that tarnish forever whether or not they did know and didn't say anything or they didn't know and they're just victims as well but ultimately there's only one victim in this situation and it's kyle beach and it sucks that that happened to him and hopefully that he can move on and live his life and find peace with everything really there. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can tell you from what I know from speaking with people around the organization, every player on that team knew whether they publicly are saying that they did or not. Many of them have chosen to just deny it because they're not directly tied to it. They don't have to answer to it, etc. But for some of these players, especially someone like a Jonathan Taves, who wore the sea, you have a responsibility as that person to do things like this and stand up for your teammates and bring things to light. And the last thing that I'll say on it is if you wear a letter on an NHL team or you're in the captain structure of any kind of sporting team and things like this are going down, 
behind closed doors and you are not doing something about it, you are part of the problem. And that's why a lot of people have felt like there is more of an issue in the Chicago organization than what's been led to believe. See, I'll just... you, you say that so strongly, but like as far as like beat writers for the Hawks and stuff like that, minus Mark Lazarus and I'll, no offense to Mark Lazarus, he's only riding this because he rides anything that gets clicks. It's kind of well known. Um, guys like Barstool Chief have went after him and all that. Rocky Wurtz was very unprofessional and he was immature and he should not be the face of the Blackhawks franchise after his outburst towards Mark Lazarus. But I believe that the outburst had more to do with Mark and his self and his history of reporting and kind of digging at stuff and that are get clicks. And that's his job. He does his job. Excellent. I'm not hating on Mark Lazarus. He's doing his job. Um, he reports very well. He reports unbiasedly. It's just sometimes he sticks on things that he knows they're going to get clicks when kind of everything else is moved on from it. Um, so I think that as far as that outburst went, it's kind of that. And I think if you take Mark Lazarus out of the picture, no one in Chicago is talking about the 2010 scandal anymore. The beat writers aren't talking about it. Um, it's just Mark Lazarus and that's it. And you don't hear it being brought up on podcasts anymore or anything like that. Jamie Faulkner has done a really good job of kind of coming in and showing that this organization isn't the organization that it once was. Um, Danny Wirtz is obviously showing he's not like his father. Um, he's very upfront. He's personable. He's open to the community. He's willing to answer questions. He wanted to answer questions that day, even after Rocky's just childish and obscene outburst that I'm still getting mad about. Um, so I, I think that, you can go ahead and some of the outside point of view can have that, but I think around the closer people to the organization kind of feel a change in the organization. And um, it's not necessarily Danny's presence. I don't think, I think it has a lot more to do with Jamie Faulkner and her presence around the organization. And mm -hmm. um, I can see why people outside of the Blackhawks would still have that perspective, but if you're really following them, and you're not just watching Rocky be an immature, grown man acting like a baby trying to get a rattle. Um, and you actually listen to the things that Jamie and Danny Wirtz are saying. It's night and day difference from how it was once ran. And I just think that maybe the outside perspective isn't necessarily getting the true light. Because if you go look at that town hall meeting, it was an absolutely unbelievable, great meeting until that outburst by Rocky Wirtz, which derailed everything and undid everything that was done. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's really tough. Um, but yeah, I really I mean, don't want to end on the somber note here, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's just a, you should do the right thing and end up on the right side of history. I would hope right? so, yeah. You, you so would like, hope, that's what you would hope, yes. The, the easy example for you know what I would have hoped that Jonathan Taves would have done differently back then is the same thing that I've been speaking about now with Alexander Ovechkin. Do I think that Alexander Ovechkin is a communist who wants to kill Ukrainians? Absolutely not. That's absurd, right? But he still has a picture of him and Vladimir Putin standing right side by side each other on his Instagram account. 
my my point of view for Taves back then, Alexander Ovechkin now, and for the next NHL superstar who ends up in one of these scenarios, do the right thing. Don't worry okay. about what this means for you in your career and what have you. Do the right thing. If you stand on the right side of history, nobody will have an issue. Because if you look at it now, kind of similar to how I view Taves now, now I can't look past this with Ovechkin. Now he's done a couple things throughout his career that puts him right side by side with a Vladimir Putin. So when he goes to you know, break this goal-scoring record, this is what people are going to talk about. You've already seen it happen in the media. Nobody is talking about the goal-by-goal count anymore that they were doing. It is all about Ovechkin and the politics around him with Putin and Russia. Do the right thing, remove the photo, and people would stop. Yep. And I think that's a good spot to end on, actually. It's a good note. Um, It's a good message to end on. And I think uh, it's something that not only hockey players, but people in general can really learn from is it's not always about the sport. It's not always about yourself. It's just kind of about being a good human and doing the right thing. And just even if it's a tough call, just make the right call, do the right thing, do what's best for everybody involved in any situation. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to be it for the podcast today. Thank everyone for listening to Cue the Dagger. Thank you, Connor Green, for having on. And thank you, Inside the Ring.